So um, I'm going to talk uh, about, um, again, drawing on the data from uh, the, the, the Bath project from Mike, that Mike and me um, worked on. Uh, and um, I'm going to talk today about a particular paper which uses uh, social network analysis to look at um, to look at kind of how regional boundaries and also kind of spatial hierarchies of institutions are, are, are present in the transition between school and higher education in, uh, in the UK. Um, so this is the paper uh, which is I've just resubmitted the revisions on, uh, so that's the, the title of the paper. And um, it uses what's, uh, it, it, so it's looking at the cohort of 2014-15 entry to higher education and it's all undergraduate students and um, it's young undergraduate students going to university in that year um, and we did a particular type of social network analysis which I'll, I'll, I'll say a little bit about in a second uh, and we also combined uh, combined this with, with qualitative data and visual and kind of some of the visual mapping methods which you've already seen Mike talk about. Um, before I kind of say a bit more about the, the method, um, I just wanted to kind of unpack some of these uh, concepts which you saw on the first slide. So it's circuit of education, which comes from, um, is a kind of development or slight, slight development on, on Ball's, uh, Ball, uh, Ray and Gewurz's uh, idea of circuits of schooling, which is uh, that uh, kind of key paper from the kind of school choice literature. And this is just thinking about the, the notion of, of circuits um, in relation to higher education and, and the transition um, and the idea that there are certain pathways between particular places and schools um, at that kind of transition point to university. Um, yeah, so that's what's going on here. That's what I'm referring to by circuits. Um, so this... Social network analysis, all it is doing really is looking for, uh, in social network analysis you have nodes, which are basically dots, which you'll see some dots in a minute. Um, and those dots are um, either, in our case, either local authority areas, so the, the local authority area that you grew up in and the, the local authority area that people move to, or in the case of the second set of analyses, the school you attended and the university you, and you, went, you attended. And all this kind of uh, particular quantitative method is doing is looking for denser groups of nodes, so denser groups of places or denser groups of institutions than you'd expect at random. And those clusters are called communities, um, and they're detected purely on the basis of the number of students um, that are moving between those places or between those schools and universities. Um, and it's looking for um, greater numbers of students than you'd expect at random. Um, and um, there's some technical issues to do with whether or not the uh, whether or not you have the same you're moving between the same type of places or whether or not you're moving between schools and universities, um, which means that it's a bipartite graph structure. But I'm not going to talk too much about that uh, unless you want me to. In which case, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so uh, this is the map that you get, and it's always unfortunate that. Um, can't really show this in more detail, but this is this is a local authority to local authority movement, and in the paper when it comes out, you'll be able to zoom in 
and really see what's going on here. Um, but in the meantime, I'll, t I'll talk you through the dots and what I mean. Um, so this is all the local authority areas in the UK. And you can kind of just about, and this is school to university movements in 2014, and you can just about probably make out some faint lines of varying degrees of thickness, and the varying degrees of thickness show a greater or, few, or smaller number of students moving. And this is filtered so that you're only looking at movements of uh, 50 students or more, which means that um, Scotland is basically completely autonomous. So if you think about local authority to local authority movements, there's only one set of movements where there are more than 50 students going between one place and another, and that's Northumberland to Edinburgh. Um, so all of the other movements of, of students are less than 50 students, basically, um, which is kind of what you expect. And if you don't filter that graph, then you end up with this kind of almost illegible mess, basically. But um, there are colours here, and what this modularity analysis does is shows kind of communities of different places. Um, and what you get from running the modularity analysis, the community detection analysis, are um, kind of regional communities. So you have um, London in the southeast, also connected to the east of England. You have the southwest of England and also South Wales connected here. The Midlands, the north of England, which is also connected into North Wales, and then Northern Ireland and Scotland as, as, as separate entities. So I think what's, what's, what this allows us to think about here is how actually that moment of student mobility is constructing but also reflecting the regional boundaries that exist within a country. Um, and that makes logical sense when you think that um, over 50% of students, 55% of students, undergraduate, full-time young undergraduates, are only moving 90 kilometres or less uh, for, for university. And when, when I talk about the kind of regional boundaries, if you um, know the kind of, uh, again we're talking about Wales, if you know the kind of geographical, if you've ever tried to go from North Wales to South Wales, you know that it's a total pain, right? And that you have basically the legacy of a kind of extractive, uh, extractive kind of colonial uh, transport network which runs, takes everything out of South Wales and then takes everything out of North Wales into the relevant bits of England. Um, but you can see that in the way people move between university, or rather the fact that not many people go from South Wales to Edinburgh <coughs> or to Aberystwyth, and um, the fact that people are much more tied into um, universities in the Southwest, um, and vice versa in, the, in, the, in North Wales. And I think this, um, if we're thinking about place, and we're thinking about kind of regional identities, there is that kind of theoretical work done by Doreen Massey um, for space where she talks about place occurring at the at these uh, where you have the kind of accretion of meetings um, and that kind of relational formation of space where you have people moving over many many kind of years taking these trajectories and that creates these kind of established pathways that higher education is part of but also kind of reflects and reconstitutes so you have this moment of transition to higher education, which is, amongst many other things, a moment when you can see these boundaries being reformed. Um, so let's look, a, look in a bit more detail at this, slightly more legible. 
Um, so this is uh, the north of England, and what you can see here, and what I want to talk about a little bit, is that um, if you're in Northern Ireland, the main um, English local authority that people tend to go to is uh, Liverpool for higher education. Um, and you can see this because these are the connections here. So over 50 students in each case going to Liverpool. Um, and this is obviously in the context of, and this is sort of anecdotal, but, and I think the, and there may be kind of quantitative work out there already on this, but um, in the context of the £9,000 tuition fee increase, it's become harder for students, or this is anecdotal in the schools that we went to, people saying it's become harder to remain in Northern Ireland for Northern Irish students because more people wanted to do it because of the financial implications. Um, so they were able to kind of up their grade boundaries, basically. Um, that's what was being reported anecdotally in the schools that we went to. So you have kind of migration uh, and student mobility as by default as a result of that. I mean, I think if you're a kind of clever Republican politician in, in Ireland, you would think properly about um, the, the, the Gramscian implications of perhaps having an educational system which allowed more cross-border mobility. But I digress. Um, uh, so Liverpool. Liverpool, one of the students described, um, one of the students in the two schools we went to in Northern Ireland, and um, so we went to a Catholic grammar school and a Protestant, um, effectively Protestant, secondary modern. Um, one, but they, one of them described it as Liverpool as being a home away from home, and you had this kind of reflected in some of their maps where they were highlighting Liverpool or Merseyside, also mentioning kind of Newcastle and Glasgow, which again is interesting thinking about those kind of Celtic geographies. Uh, and we had um, in our school, one of our schools was in, 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 in Derry, and um, we had this conversation about Derry boys in Liverpool uh, with one, one of the students, and Liverpool being um, a community that you'd be used to. So one of the, one of the students, Sally, said, uh, loads of people from Derry go over there, um, so it's a good environment because it's all within a community that you would be used to, so there's this kind of perception of, of ease of movement um, and that Liverpool is, is relatable. Um, and then a bit of a longer quote from, from Sophie who was talking about not wanting to go to Liverpool because her brother goes there and he loves it, but he's like a dairy boy kind of thing. Um, and there's lots of his mates over there and he lives, a ha lives in a house with other dairy ones um, and that's not, not, not what she wanted. Um, and we, I tried to kind of dig into this, uh, what, what she meant by a dairy boy. Um, I think there were kind of, there were, there were clear kind of gender stereotypes which we didn't, which I didn't, don't think I really got to the bottom of in this email, in this email, in this interview. Um, but the, but um, there's this real kind of deep, um, this uh, sort of feeling of comfort and, and um, as, as, Derry, as Liverpool being somewhere where, which lots of people went to, had family connections, uh, went to support the football team, um, people had gone married there. Um, one of the administrators in the school talked about meeting her, meeting her cousin on the, on the, on the escalator in, um, in the Liverpool One shopping development in Liverpool. 
and all of these kind of dense kind of family connections and histories of migration that are being drawn on in the process of thinking about and conceptualizing places that they might go that students might go and study in and I think this is interest it's interesting to think about that as a kind of historical continuation of earlier patterns of Irish migration uh, and Belcham in a really nice book about the, which is a kind of cultural history of Liverpool um, talks about the kind of Catholic parish church and also the Irish pub as a key site where there's a kind of distinctive sense of ethnic Irishness being constructed and implanted and upheld and uh, when I read this I thought well perhaps although obviously it's potentially stretching a little bit but I think there is higher education is also a key site where these historic connections between Ireland and Liverpool are being reconstituted um, and that kind of um, the fact that Liverpool seems a sort of straightforward destination for some students in Northern Ireland um, maintaining a particular kind of identity a, a dairy identity seems more possible in Liverpool and and moving for university really kind of re-embeds and reconstitutes and and recreates these these circuits of culture these histories of migration um, that that people live out actually when they go to university even if it might not even if that might not even if that kind of history might not be explicitly expressed as such so that's the kind of end of the um, that's the that's the local authority to local authority movement and the kind of thinking about regional boundaries national boundaries that's the end of that section of this paper so now I want to talk about school to university movements and how um, how you get kind of boundary and also hierarchy hierarchy formation um, when you look at institution to institution movements so this is school to universities so another nicely uh, slightly illegible map um, so what we've got here are all the schools and universities in the UK um, that send students um, from um, that send school students to, to university in 2014-15, and what you can see again are um, particular coloured clusters again that are picked up, um, more or less similar. Um, so again, like a South Wales North Wales distinction. Um, with the South Wales group of schools being pulled largely into universities in the South West, um, as well as in South Wales itself. Again, a Midlands group, London here, uh, the north of England and North Wales, and Scotland and Northern Ireland in this case being pulled together into one community, which um, it's worth saying that this kind of method is iterative. It's a bit like running a cluster analysis for people that have done that, and you get kind of, where well, you get kind of different results each time so it's not a perfect method and it's not something which gives you really strong kind of concrete results but it does suggest patterns that are int that become interpretable I think when when read alongside other data um, but that Scotland Northern Ireland link does make sense because if you look at sending regions um, and in the matrix that's in our paper in the BJSE um, if you look at the, the kind of sending regions, the regions, that set, regions or nations that send students to Scotland, Northern Ireland is the biggest sender to, to, Scot to Scottish universities. So that does make sense from that point of view. Uh, so, there we go. So the six clusters here, um, because as well as these kind of geographical clusters that you've also got, 
Um, and most universities are, are, are regional in their school recruitment here, which again makes sense in terms of the different clusters that you see here. But what you also have um, is, you can kind of faintly make it out, and I'm going to show it to you more, uh, more clearly in a second, is a pink group, uh, which is schools and universities that are spread largely uh, in England, but also in Wales, and in two cases also in Scotland. I'm going to say a bit more about those, because what they kind of contrast is on, on the one hand this very regional recruitment um, from schools and colleges that takes place in higher education, but also a kind of aspatial pattern which suggests that there is something else at play here. So about 13.8% of all students, 13.8% of the, the, the trajectories here um, are in this kind of aspatial grouping, which, and again, this is in geographical space. So over here, you've got a few um, private schools in Wales. You've not got Cardiff University. And up there, you've got St Andrews, and I think there's also one Scottish private school, which is a private music school. Um, but what you have here is a, a group of schools, which, has, which are largely private schools, a few kind of selective state schools, so grammar schools, um, and with the exception of St Andrews University, these universities are all English, um, but they're a distinct group, not just, it's not the Russell group, it's actually a group within the Russell group. Um, and what's interesting here is that the Scottish private schools aren't in this group, um, with the exception of that music school that I mentioned, um, but the Welsh private schools are. And I think this is interesting to think about in terms of the relative autonomy of um, the higher education system in terms of its position within the nation state uh, or nation states that make up the UK. Um, because there is this, there is basically, and there's kind of other research, Keating have done research about the education of the, the Scottish civil service, the education of Scottish MSPs, that they tend to be educated within Scotland and that um, there is this private school, a very developed private school infrastructure in Scotland, which largely is sending students to Scottish universities. So Glasgow, Edinburgh, obviously St Andrews as well, or to an extent, um, Aberdeen. Um, but Wales doesn't have that in quite the same way, or at least this analysis suggests that Welsh private schools are, are playing a different game in terms of what, in terms of the kind of higher education infrastructure that they're, they're linked into. And that, I think, says something quite interesting about um, the role of the state and the role of that higher, the higher education transition as reflecting particular pathways of class formation, of kind of elite uh, and upper middle class formation, um, which is autonomous in Scotland and in Northern Ireland uh, in a way that is not true for Wales. Sorry, Wales, you're in with England. <laughs> Uh, so these are the universities um, that are included here. There are two outliers, which is Suffolk and Teesside. I'm not sure why they were in there, um, but again, it's a, a limitation. Very posh. Yeah, <laughs> limitation of the technique. But I think the rest of the institutions um, that you might see there, if anyone's ever done research in um, kind of elite private <coughs> private schools, it tends to be that students are not uh, and and very selective grammar schools as well. Students are not actually looking at the Russell group, they're looking at a subset of the Russell group. Um, and they're looking at 
the Golden Triangle, along with uh, Warwick, um, Exeter, Durham, uh, which I'll say a little bit more about if I have time. Um, so this is, that's what they're, um, there, there is this kind of sub-hierarchy, and it's interesting that these are institutions that, in terms of the schools they're recruiting from, rely on institutions that are actually not drawing, drawn from their region at all. There's a kind of almost a spatiality to the way these institutions recruit, in the sense that they don't rely on their regions in the same way that most universities do, including other members of the Russell Group. Um, so this is kind of making the point that I've just made, just talking about the absence of Scottish private schools, yeah, um, the presence of Welsh private schools, um, and that elite formation in Wales is perhaps tied into English infrastructure of elite higher education in a way that um, Scottish uh, institutions are not. Um, how long do I have? I've got loads of time. Okay. Fine. Um, so. I have got another, I've got another section here which, so I, which I can go into, which is nice. So what I want to do now um, is just think about the kind of cultural geographies of these boundaries and hierarchies um, in a bit more depth. Um, so what we saw in, the, in that kind of pink grouping of institutions <coughs> is a sort of archipelagic set of mobilities um, where students were moving between schools and a, and a set of universities that weren't really regional, regionally bound. Um, but there is a kind of uh, particular insularity if you kind of talk to um, students at some elite schools in terms of the places that they see themselves as fitting in and as moving to and through. And this was one of the interviews we did with... Um, student at an elite private boys school in London um, and again it's this kind of rejection of, of Wales and talking about Edinburgh feeling um, closer being a nicer place than Swansea uh, this is to London um, Edinburgh feeling maybe cleaner than, than Swansea um, and this is like this is a 18 year old I those universities were in cities, so the ones he was looking at, universities were in cities where I deemed, with my experience, to be like nicer cities. Um, which, I mean, maybe it shouldn't be too cool, but it's, it's just that. Um, and what he was also kind of uh, talking about here is that a lot of London students go to, go to Edinburgh, and it's described as this middle-class city in a very similar way to London. Um, it's similar in terms of the amenities that are there, um, and that Edinburgh feels like a kind of centre uh, with the Parliament buildings, um, and that's that's what what he was kind of used to. So there's this kind of um, geography of implicit kind of places where Wales is almost a, a non-place, and this was this student's map. So Wales was coloured in extra hard in red, um, uh, and then he had. Um, London, Oxford, Durham, Edinburgh and St Andrews from there uh, and then some maybes for Bath, Bristol, Cambridge and Manchester. Um, and Wales here is kind of excluded from the, the acceptable choices and, and I drew on like Tom Nairn's book, uh, The Enchanted Glass, to think about how there is this kind of what Nairn calls the crown heartland which is his, what he kind of 
envisage us as kind of London and the home counties um, as this kind of and, and talking about it in economic terms he, he, he talks about this kind of hegemonic block which combines the hereditary elite with the kind of the financial centre of the city um, but actually I think it's perhaps a little bit more complicated than this um, and that that crown heartland includes a kind of archipelagic set of outposts in certain locations in, in, so Durham, perhaps Edinburgh um, Exeter down the southwest so it's not just this, that kind of, uh, that kind of, the way that Nairn describes it, this kind of, although you might have that kind of, uh, in, if you're thinking in other geographical terms, that very strong, affluent, conservative um, block around the home counties, um, up into Oxfordshire, um, and, and places around parts of London. If you think about it in terms of the, the geographies of higher education that people move through, there are these kind of islands in a different way, um, from, from how Holly was talking about it, but these islands where people go to, and one of those, of course, is is, is Durham, which is where I now I now work. Um, so this again is another interview at the same school in London, um, and uh, so we same we asked him what is it about Durham, uh, and there's a lot. So he he says again um, that uh, there are lots of people in Durham. Um, just a really good university with a lot of people from St. Alexander's and other schools that I know go there um, and he says uh, it's almost middle class a very middle class town like in the middle of the north and that's how I've been brought up so it'd be good to live in a similar way to university and there's no culture shock when you get there and the irony of now working at Durham is that a lot of the local students have a massive culture shock when they arrive and have to um, rub shoulders with students like Michael um, and uh, he's aware I mean that people have a lot of knowledge of, uh, a lot of kind of accumulated knowledge through their social networks in this case about the university that they might want to attend and um, that's true in this case again because because what what he describes is, is very accurate to what a lot of my students experience um, for both good and bad um, and it's also true if you look at it empirically and this was in the report that we did for the Sutton Trust which is that Durham has the largest proportion of students drawn from over 150 miles of any English university um, and it also has a very low percentage of students um, studying within a, within a close who, who've kind of only travelled uh, less, just less than 60 miles um, to attend university and, and this says some quite interesting things about Durham's relationship to the northeast um, and it is this kind of convergence of conflicting cultural geographies so this was uh, when I was walking into university just after I started this job so um, March last week not uh, March last year I was walking in and there's if anyone's been to Durham there's the, the, the old bridge with where you can see the uh, cathedral up to your right mm -hmm. and then it, the roads comes around and you head up into the market square and what was happening was there was this like film crew filming someone getting in and out of um, a Porsche that was parked on the bridge and uh, I was like asked some school kids that were taking photos like oh what's going on it was a Made in Chelsea was being filmed 
uh, on the pitch. <laughs> it was someone's boyfriend, or not really boyfriend, that was going there. Um, and of course, you've got kind of the Miners Gala, which happens every year. Um, the Miners Gala, which happens every year. Um, sorry? We say Gala. Yeah, Gala. Yeah, Gala. I don't know. Um, and uh, you also have students who have, not only do they not know the, the history, or perhaps, well, they do know the history, but they've certainly not, some of them have, don't have any respect for it. So this was in 2017 that uh, one of the college rugby rugby societies, rugby clubs, um, decided they'd have a, a minors versus the police um, night out, um, which was, uh, you know, nothing's really happened uh, about that since, to be honest, but um, that is what they decided they would do. Um, and when I say nothing's happened about it, I mean the Durham Miners Association was sort of told that they could suggest a, a kind of education some educational activities for the for the students and for the university but as far as I can see two or three years on not not much has changed not much happened from that so just some conclusions um, I think uh, elite formation in the 21st century is, is sort of deeply linked to uh, and and student mobility generally is deeply linked to kind of much longer historical regional divisions and spatial boundaries and there's, um, there's a sort of centrality of history at least in the way that I think about this sometimes um, and I didn't really talk about this and this comes from another paper but I think we can usefully think about how universities and also some schools can, can be sort of commanders of time and space in the way that they regulate both the everyday um, but also the, the, the kind of longer term life trajectories of, 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 of young people over multiple generations and how you have these kind of pathways which connect certain regions, certain geographical spaces as well as certain institutional spaces over and over again um, and there's a lot of kind of power um, but also kind of cultural histories involved with that um, so yeah I'll leave it there thanks